Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Y'all, we say that around here, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm excited to be here. I really am. Are you guys excited to be here? Yeah, yeah. This is awesome. It's, it's such a privilege for me to share from God's Word, and I thank you so much for that privilege to do that and share with you each and every week. But I want to share something with you today about me because I am, I'm a little depressed. I'm depressed. Can anyone guess why I'm depressed? And it doesn't have anything to do with pizza. I had pizza for dinner last night, so. Yeah, boy, bingo. My Blackhawks are terrible. And quite honestly, I have come to terms with the fact that they're just, they're not going to make the playoffs. So this playoff beard is not going to last very long. It's not going to happen, but I'll keep watching, right? Because that's what a fan does. You Cub fans, you can relate to that, right? I mean, how many years did you guys suffer until they finally won a World Series? 100 years or so, right? Although it does seem like they've kind of gone back to their old losing ways. Maybe you'll have to wait another 100 years. I don't know. But you know what? If you're a true fan, you will stay with your team, even if it's depressing. Now, let's be honest, okay, because your favorite sports team doing poorly is not going to cause true depression. You know, when I say I'm depressed about the Hawks, what I really mean to say is I'm eh, disappointed, maybe a little bit sad. But if we're totally honest, friends, we must admit that there are many things in this world that certainly could cause one to become depressed. Depression is a real problem, and it's brought on by so many external stimuli. Things like, you know, difficult life experiences, separation, loss of a loved one, conflicts, betrayal. Early childhood trauma can cause depression. And look, if you look around at what's going on in the world today, I mean, with wars, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a war, right? And rumors of wars, I think we've heard something about that in the past. But you look at what's going on with all the division and the acrimony, it's no wonder there's so much depression and anxiety in this world. It's gotten so bad that suicide is the second leading cause of death in people ages 10 to 34. That should be troubling. Anxiety and depression is a problem in this world. It looks like the world is going over a cliff. And that can be scary. That can create anxiety. That can cause depression. So what's the answer? What's the answer? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in eternity. The answer to all of the world's problems are found in one man, Jesus. Today, we begin a study of the life 
of this incredible person, Jesus. But our focus is not necessarily going to be on the teachings or the parables of Jesus per se. Rather, what we're going to be doing is looking at the significant events in his life. What they meant for Jesus, what they meant for the people of that time, but more importantly, what can we learn from them? Because there's many, many lessons to be learned from these events that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. Now, I've chosen to do this right now because we're in the middle of some of the most significant events in Christianity. A couple of months ago, we celebrated one of those. What was that? Christmas, the birth of Christ, right? And in about six or so weeks, two events coming up that are the bedrock of Christianity. What are those? Amen. Good Friday and Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without which, friends, there is no Christianity. Without which, there is no salvation. There is no eternal life. There is no hope. So I invite you on this journey, join us, this march toward the cross, toward the resurrection, toward Easter. And on this journey, the majority of our scripture is going to be taken from the gospel of Matthew. So I encourage you over the coming weeks to read through Matthew. Read through Matthew as we go and these stories will be more familiar to you. We, of course, will reinforce some of these readings with passages from other Gospels, since many of these events are recorded in two or more of the four Gospels. But our main focus is going to be kind of on Matthew. Now, the first milestone event that we want to look at is the baptism of Jesus. And this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is where it all starts. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, what you'll see is that the actual narrative of his baptism is found in verses 13 to 17. We're going to kind of start at the beginning of chapter 3 just to get some background but it's going to be Matthew 3, 13 to 17. We are going to look at John chapter 1 as well. So if you want to kind of bookmark that, uh, I think 29 to 34-ish or something like that. But again, in Matthew, we want to set the stage for this and we want to go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 3. And what we see there is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is in the wilderness of Judea and he's preaching, right? And he's preaching, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Saying basically that, that heaven is now coming near in the person of the Messiah, in the person of Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, on the other hand, Matthew points to John the Baptist as the fulfillment of prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 40. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Matthew says, all right, this is the guy. John the Baptist, this is the guy that Matthew was talking about when he said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. See, John was the forerunner to the Messiah. Now, John's baptism, because John did a lot of baptizing, he was John the Baptist. What was his baptism? Repentance, right? He said, repent, repent. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, calling the people to repent. And when we read that, we want to understand that repentance, this is not a feeling. Repentance is not a feeling word. It's, just, it's not about feeling sorry, although that is a component of it. Quite honestly, repentance is an action word, right? It is a turning from sin. It is a change of one's mind, a transformation of the mind, a change of direction. Is this something that we're called to while we're on it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't come near to the kingdom of heaven unless we leave our sin and our selfish self behind. So the call from John is to repentance. And it's interesting that, that John's message was actually very popular. Matthew tells us that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John's ministry was very popular. And then come the Pharisees. And, you know, we don't have time to get into the, the, the details of that encounter, but it's enough to say that John never considered baptism for the Pharisees and the Sadducees that approached him by the Jordan River. Why is that? Why did John never consider baptism for them? Because there was no repentance. There was no repentance. John looked at them and he did not see the fruit of repentance. Remember, true repentance will manifest itself in how one lives their life. He didn't see that in them. And that brings us up to verse 13, where Matthew writes this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So what we see here is Jesus travels some 50 or so miles, and that's quite a ways on foot, from Galilee to the Jordan River. And he says to John, he says, baptize me. Which, by the way, teaches us a lesson. It does, because Jesus took the initiative, right? Jesus took the initiative to be baptized. So should we be baptized as well? Yeah, upon believing, we should be baptized. But have you ever kind of wondered about this scenario? Has this ever kind of troubled you a little bit? You know, knowing what we know about John's baptism, which is a baptism of what? Repentance, Repentance right? 
Did Jesus have to repent? No, absolutely not. I mean, he was the sinless Messiah. And, and John knew this. You know, he knew that Jesus was the Christ. He says as much in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is pressed by the priests and the Levites to identify himself. Who are you? And John says, I am not the Christ, but he's coming after me. But it's not me. And then the very next day, as Jesus approaches John the Baptist, John declares, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This, this is the Messiah. This is the once and for all sacrifice for the salvation of the people. So, if you're a little bit confused about why Jesus would be baptized, you're actually in pretty good company. Because even John was confused, right? He said, me? Baptize you? No, you should be baptizing me. It just it didn't really make any sense. But you know, in verse 15, we read that Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And what Jesus was saying is now, now is the time. Now begins my public messianic ministry. See, up to this point, we really don't know anything about what Jesus was up to. We really don't. The last reference we see in Matthew was to when Jesus was a, a child, maybe about two or so. The only other event recorded in the Gospels was when he was 12 and he was left at the temple. Other than that, we know absolutely nothing of Jesus' life from age about 2 to what we're seeing now, and that's about age 29 or 30 or so. But Jesus is saying, now, now it's time. It's time for what? Well, quite honestly, that brings us to one of the reasons that he was baptized. See, Jesus was baptized to be identified with the sinners that he came to save. He was baptized to be identified with us. As he says, to fulfill all righteousness. Remember, it is the righteousness of Christ... It is the perfect life that he lived. His righteousness is credited to us. I mean, that's our only hope as sinners standing before a perfect, holy God. The righteousness of Christ is our only hope. Now, that isn't to say that his baptism alone fulfilled all righteousness. No, this was just the beginning. His mission would not be fulfilled until Good Friday and Easter, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this was a critical step in his mission. This was the beginning. 
to identify with sinners. You know, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus told John, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, here's a situation where I prefer the English Standard Version translation. And the difference is very subtle, but I I think you'll pick up on it because ESV says, let it be so now, same idea, now's the time, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And I don't want us to miss where that little word is positioned in these two different sentences, that little word us, because it makes a difference. So, who's Jesus talking about when he says us? Well, I mean, he he certainly isn't talking about John, right? I mean, John doesn't have a part in fulfilling all righteousness. So who is us? Well, you're going to see in the following verses. Follow along closely. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Who do we see here? Who's us? The Trinity, right? The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all present all participating in the baptism of Jesus, all there at the beginning of his earthly ministry, there from the beginning of all eternity, there forever. The Trinity. So Jesus, Jesus was baptized to be identified with us as sinners. He was also baptized to be identified as the Messiah. We see this in John chapter 1. You know, as we, as we read earlier, John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And at this point in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is actually looking back on this event. He's looking back on the baptism of Jesus. And in verse 31 he says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Again, John is saying, this is him. This is the guy. This is the Messiah, the one that I've been telling you about, the one whose way I've been preparing. And again, looking back in verses 32 and following, he gives his testimony about Jesus. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. 
Jesus was baptized that his true identity would be revealed. The chosen one. The one and only son of God. The Christ. The Messiah. God himself. Now, all that's fine, right? But how does that apply to us today? What does our baptism mean? Well, first I want us to understand baptism itself. And there's a little story in Mark chapter 10 that can help us sort through some things. In Mark chapter 10, we read about James and John. And they come to Jesus with a request. Now, you may be familiar with the story. You may not. Either way, it doesn't really matter. But they come to Jesus and they request prominent places in his kingdom to come. James and John want to sit at his right and his left hands in his kingdom. That is huge. You're absolutely right. And, and Jesus even acknowledges that because in verse 38 of Mark 10, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So what's Jesus talking about here? It can't be the baptism from Matthew chapter 3. Although the Greek word is the same, the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo is translated to immerse or to plunge under or to cover over. You know, you've heard the saying baptism by fire. You know, it's like being, you know, immersed or thrown into a situation or covered over by the challenges of, I don't know, maybe a new job or something like that. Baptism by fire. The baptism, friends, that Jesus refers to here is looking forward to the suffering that he would soon endure. See, Jesus knew, he knew he would be taking on the sins of the world. And that's not something James and John could participate in. So the baptism, friends, that we read about in Matthew chapter 3 is a preview of the baptism of the cross. When Jesus, Jesus was immersed, immersed, covered over by the wrath of God, paying the price for our sins, and then he was buried. But then he rose up again to a new life. And friends, that is what baptism is all about. In our baptism, we identify with Jesus and the death and the resurrection of our Savior. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, when we are baptized, we are immersed, we are covered over, our sins are covered over as we repent and we turn 
from our sin and repent in the name of Christ. The old self is dead. We put the old self to death. Paul says, buried with Christ through baptism. But then we're raised. We're raised up from the dead. We're raised up from the water to a new way of living. Living by the Spirit of God. See, in baptism, friends, something dramatic and life-changing is happening to the believer. Because you cannot die and be raised to newness of life without it changing you. In baptism, our sins are cleansed and there's a spiritual death and resurrection in Christ. When we are baptized, friends, we identify ourselves as believers, believers in the truth about Jesus. I just want to make a couple of comments before we wrap this thing up here. The first is this. Baptism doesn't save you. You guys know that, right? Baptism does not save you. There is no water anywhere in this world or any person that can apply it or dunk you in it that will cleanse you and make you a child of God. You could be baptized every year. You could be baptized once a month. You could be baptized every week, every day, and it wouldn't matter. It is not your baptism that will save you. It is the baptism of Jesus that saves. The baptism that Jesus endured on the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while we're on the subject, since we celebrated the other sacrament that Christ ushered in, the sacrament of Holy Communion, communion doesn't save you either. The bread, the wine, that's not what saves you. Again, you could take communion every single day and you would still not have salvation, friends. It is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ that pays our debt. That and nothing more. We merely remember that in communion. Second, if you notice, I haven't gotten into the issues of Infant baptism versus adult baptism or, you know, total immersion versus the sprinkling or pouring of water. And I'm not gonna. Do you know why? Because either is acceptable. Either is acceptable. There are solid biblical arguments to be made for each viewpoint. Friends, this is not, not a salvation issue. If you want your children baptized, we're happy to do it. If you want to wait until they're adults, make their own decision, that's fine too. Remember, it's not baptism that saves you. And if you want to be immersed as opposed to you know, the sprinkling or pouring of water, there's a pond all the way at the back of our property here, backed up against the cornfield. Yeah, we'll dip you in that. Actually, no, you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to see anybody dipped in that. But seriously, 
if you want total submersion, we'll do it. We'll do it. Lastly, you know, I'm sure that there are some here who've placed their faith in Jesus, but maybe haven't been baptized. Are they still saved? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But why not be baptized? Jesus was. That should be reason enough for anybody. But why not be publicly identified with the death and the resurrection of the one who came and died for you? Your baptism is a public, outward expression of an inward commitment. And if you've truly given your life to Christ, you are raised to a new way of living. What better way to celebrate that than through baptism? Baptism doesn't save. Communion doesn't save. The only thing that can save you, friends, is faith. Faith in the one who came to die for you and for me. And if you haven't placed your faith in him for salvation, I pray, friend, that you would do it today. Do not wait. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall, and it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Faith in this extraordinary person, our Lord and Savior, the one and only Son of God, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the death, the resurrection, the baptism endured by Jesus on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that we can look forward to eternity basking in the light and the love of Jesus because of what he's done for us. We thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.